this is part five of our destiny series. I will be teaching this throughout this month, except for one Sunday where I will not be here, but uh, I'll be teaching it throughout this month. On the life of Joseph, destiny series on the life of Joseph, we're talking about being a man or a woman of destiny, uh, being a people of destiny, and also what we've done on popular demand is to give you the notes in advance. So um, if you want the notes for what I'm teaching uh, from now onwards on Sundays, you have to give your details to who? This man of God over there, can you, can you stand? This handsome man in red. <laughs> All right, follow. You have to give him your email details so that you can receive the notes um, and the, the bulletin and what's happening in the church. All right. Psalm 105, verses 17 to 19 is our key text. He says, he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Also, Romans 8, 28 he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We'll stop there. So just recapping briefly, destiny speaks of one's destination, our destination, that place that God has assigned to our lives. In Romans 8, 29, he says, for whom he foreknew, he he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, verse 30, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So ultimately, God's plan is that his glory is revealed in his people, and because of that, he has a series of pro events that takes place in the life of his people to bring them to the place of his glory and his destiny for their life. Let us pray, and then we're going to share some more. Heavenly Father, thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives. Thank you that you are changing us from one degree of glory to another. And Father, I pray for your people today. Let your Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at the formative years of Joseph's life. In other words, the process that began to prepare him for his destiny. Now, one of the things you need to understand about Joseph's life is he had a series of crises that took place in his life that really were necessary for him to become the man that God had originally ordained. And the first time the Lord visited Joseph, he was 17 years old, and he visited him in a dream and showed him by that dream what his plan was for his life. And that was that he was going to be the head of his family and that by being the head of his family, God's purposes was going to be fulfilled through him. That's all Joseph saw. And many times when God has a purpose for your life, he will not tell you everything. 
He will just give you a little indication. Often when God shows us our destiny, he shows us what I call, well, he shows us the positive side. So he shows Joseph and his, he shows to Joseph his brothers and his parents all bowing to him. And, you know, as a 17-year-old boy, it's like, that's really cool. Everybody's going to bow to me. So you, you, you have a sense of, yes, you, you are really stirred up and excited about that great vision. And that's often how it happens. God will show you something that is glorious to you, but the, the whole details of it, you will not know. You will not know. And this is what happened with Joseph at the age of 17. And that was the word that God then began to initiate in his life. That dream was the word. You know, we read he sent um, Joseph, the word of the Lord tested him. That word that was testing him was that dream. That dream was the word that God was using to bring about the purpose of God for his life. In the same way, for you and I, we need to identify the word of God concerning our lives. Because it is only the word of God that God works with. He doesn't work with our feelings per se. He doesn't work with our opinions. He works with his word. And it is his word that he's watching over to fulfill. Can you say amen? All right, so Joseph's destiny lesson started as being in his father's house. His foundation was in his father's house. And all of us will have a foundation where we are supposed to be developed in our father's house. Whether it's biological father or spiritual father, all of us will have this foundation. And how you are developed or uh, how you are raised in your father's house will have a bearing on you for the rest of your life. And we talked about the importance of having a right relationship with our fathers, both natural fathers and spiritual fathers, because your fathers play a major role in your destiny. The reality for a lot of us is we've had bad fathering. And so because of that, we have not been able to relate to authority figures properly. Because how you relate to your father will determine how you relate to authority figures. And how you relate to authority figures ultimately has a bearing on how you relate to God, who is your true father. So his formative years began after he left his father's house. It was in his father's house that the foundation was laid. Now, for you to pass the test of your father's house, you must pass the test of your father's house through submission. Through submission. You see, the foundation that is built in us in our father's house culminates in our ability to submit to our father's will. Our Lord Jesus, for instance, the scripture says in Hebrews 5 verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The signature characteristic of a son, and by son I'm not talking about masculinity, I'm talking about a place of privilege and authority in the kingdom of God. The signature characteristic is submission. So when you, as a child of God, come to a place where you are able to freely submit to authority, 
you have passed the test of sonship. It does not mean that the authority will be always correct. God gives us imperfect fathers in order to develop us. And uh, yesterday, we were talking to the ladies about the birthing of a vision and lessons from Hannah's life. And one of the things that we learned from Hannah was that she had to learn to submit to a leader who totally got it wrong. Mm. Leaders can get it wrong. Say to your neighbor, leaders can get it wrong. But you still have to learn to submit. Yeah, you have to say that bit as well. Ah. <laughs> All right. So, his foundation in his father's house culminated in his submission to do his father's will. Genesis 37, verses 13 and 14. He said, Then Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he, sent, he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now this was the last time Jacob saw his son Joseph until Joseph, when he met Joseph as an old man and Joseph was fulfilling his destiny. It seemed like an ordinary errand. Go and check on your brothers and come and tell me what's going on. But that was the last time he was going to see his dad for a very long time. Sometimes key moments in our destiny are defined by very ordinary things that your father will ask you to do. Very ordinary things. But through that, a process began and Joseph obeyed. He said, I'll do it. And he went. And because of that, that word that God has spoken began to operate. Okay, so that formative stage now begins where he leaves his father's house and a few key things begin to take place. First of all, he finds himself in the pit of despair. The pit of despair. We're going to look at that today. Then he finds himself at a place of dependence in Potiphar's house. A place of dependence. Then he finds himself as the forgotten assistant in prison. The forgotten assistant. Then he finds himself in a place of promotion to prominence in front of Pharaoh. And even at this point, he's still not fulfilling his destiny. So we're going to begin to look at this formative stage. This stage is in Joseph's life how God formed in him what was necessary for him to fulfill his destiny. And beloved, this, these processes, these key stages, is the same for all of us. I can see them in my life over the years because I've had enough time. They are the same for everybody. And if you learn to identify these stages and respond according to the word of God, you ensure that the destiny God has ordained for you comes to pass. So let's look at the pit of despair. This is where Joseph moves from being a free-born son to a dependent slave. A, child, a young man that was born free, loved by his father, 
enjoying his father's house, God now orchestrates, not the devil, God now orchestrates a process whereby he will move from that place of privilege to become a slave that is dependent on others when it comes to how their life is supposed to go. Wow. So let's look at the pit of despair, this process. Genesis 37, verses 18 to 28. I'm going to read it, and then we'll just highlight them as outlined in your notes. Now when they saw, that's Joseph's brothers, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Wow. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him. I mean, these guys, they were just totally brazen. We're going to kill him. It's our brother. We're going to kill him. At least, you know, you be a bit, you know, diplomatic. Let's um, deal with him. No, it's no dealing. We're going to kill him. Hmm. And cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. So you know he's your brother and your flesh. Hmm. And his brothers listened. Then the, the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Wow. This is a serious situation in the life of Joseph. But beloved, this is an also, it's also important for you to understand what this season represents in your life. I call it the pit of despair where you find yourself in a place where you are helpless and at the mercy of others because of God's leadership over your life. You are helpless to do anything about your situation and you are at the mercy of others. This is not something that our Western culture likes. I'm at the mercy of nobody but God. That's what we say. But God will orchestrate things in such a way that unless you get help from somebody, you are not going to move on 
to the next level. That's how God does it. It's like this. A person gets born again and they say, me, I don't need anybody to teach me. God will teach me. Good luck with that because it's like a baby saying, I don't need parents to look after me after I'm born. I'll be able to feed myself. They will be dead within a few hours or within a day. Why? God has so designed that we need each other. Can you say amen, somebody? God has so designed that you need somebody. Now, whether you are able to discern those you need is another thing. But we all need somebody. So, the pit of despair is a very crucial part of the life of any man or woman of destiny. And it is epitomized by a verse in Genesis 42, 21. This is what they said about Joseph. You see, when they put him in that pit, and when they pulled him out and sold him, when you read it, you don't think what it must have felt like for Joseph. Can you imagine? He's used to his brothers. He's used to them, you know, maybe taking their makeup. He's used, he's used to them maybe not really being nice to him. But he never had any thinking of being threatened with his life. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone. He was very secure in the knowledge that these are my brothers. So when he goes to them and they dealt with him that way, it was very distressing. Look at what they said in Genesis 42. This is what his brother said when they, when they were in front of Joseph and didn't recognize him. This is what they said. Then they said, Genesis 42, 21. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. I want you to see. They saw the anguish of his soul when he was begging them, please, don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. And they said, nah, you're, you're going down. Yeah, you're going down. You see, the pit of despair is a place of desperation. Desperation before God. That you need God to intervene. Otherwise, you're done. Otherwise, you're done as far as your destiny is concerned. God must intervene. There are times when it's been like that. Over the years, in our development, Sometimes you see men or women of God ministering. You have no idea the pain some of them have had to carry. The pain. And so when, you, when, when they are faced with certain things that might overwhelm you, for them, it's not a big deal because they know the pain they've had to endure to be where they are. You must understand the pit of despair. In Psalm 18, verse 6, the psalmist says this. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Have you ever been distressed? Do you find yourself distressed even now? Do you find yourself at a place where you feel helpless, where you feel like you're at a, a juncture where it's impossible, where you are overwhelmed by what you are facing? 
It is part and parcel of the purposes of God. There is a way out, but it's not in your own strength. In Psalm 120 verse 1, he says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. You know, at times, believers don't want to admit when they are distressed. But even the Lord said, I am exceedingly in distress and my soul is at the point of death. Have you been under pressure where you just don't know what's going to happen and you feel like everything is closing in on you? That is the pit of despair. It is a place every believer must be willing to face. Alone. In that place of despair, others cannot identify where you are. They are not supposed to. It is your cup and your cup alone. You are supposed to drink it. Oh, hallelujah. That pit of despair is a kingdom principle highlighted in the first beatitude. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is a man or a woman who recognizes their utter poverty without God. That without God, they are completely useless. That they have no strength in themselves. That they have no ability in themselves to do something about their situation, about what God requires of them. Oh God, I am utterly poor without your grace. That's the poor in spirit. He says, this is the kingdom of God. It is those people who are given the ability to exercise rulership in the kingdom of God. One of the things about prayer is this, it's such a paradox because prayer is a place of empowerment, but it's also a place of utter desperation when you recognize that in your own strength, you can't do it. You can't do it. So many times, I was saying to Aish yesterday, I was saying to her, if I was living a compromised life, there is no way I could do what I'm doing because of how much is pulled out of my spirit. And then she asked me a question. I said, no, let me explain. I am not talking about I'm living a hypocritical life. There is a difference between being a hypocrite where you are pretending to be something and where you at times from time to time you yield, you deliberately yield to the flesh. You know, come on. How many of you at times to times you deliberately yield to the flesh? Look at these holy people looking at me. Look, throughout my journey, the majority of time, I have deliberately from time to time yielded to the flesh. We say, what did I do? I'll tell mine if you will tell yours in front of everybody here. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you just decide, you know what, I'm not, I don't care. I don't care. All bets are off. Stupid man. You want to fight? Let's fight. All bets are off. Now I'm also going to do this. You know what, I've been saying no to the devil, no to the devil. I'm going to watch it. I'm now going to watch it. Press. I'm talking about that. If I was doing that now in this, in this season of my life, in the last two years, if I was doing that, there is no way I could do the things I'm doing because of what's pulled out. But to get there has taken me a journey of over 30 years. Yeah. So when you see someone and you see grace on them, never measure them by what you see. You don't know what they've gone through to get to where they're at. That's why you should never measure yourself with another person. And even now, 
I am constantly aware of my utter weakness. My utter weakness. Right now. And it is by the grace of God, because of that knowledge, that utterly I am useless in myself, that I am empowered to do what I do. It's a kingdom principle. So let's look at these lessons from the pit of despair. Because it represents our need to surrender to the will of God because of our inability to help ourselves. That's what the pit of despair is about. It is to teach you that you, can, you have no power in yourself when it comes to your destiny. Because sometimes we like to maneuver. We think by certain relationships, by certain alignments, the door will open. And indeed, some doors open as a result. But you will never enter your destiny in God that way. Never. Don't misunderstand the goal that you have to realize with the process necessary to realize the goal. Listen, when our Lord began his ministry, Satan tempted him to give it to him there and then. Bow down and worship me and I'll give all this to you because that's why you're here. It's been delivered to me and I can give it to whoever I want. And I tell you, if the Lord had bowed to Satan at that point, you know what would have happened? Today, Christianity today would still be celebrated by the world. Jesus would still be celebrated, would be celebrated by the systems of the world forever. And Satan would be on the throne of God. <laughs> yeah. Because the way of the world system is to put the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life above the will of God. And last of the flesh is simply the things that your natural person likes. The last of the eyes is things that you desire. And the pride of life is things that you have achieved in your own strength. That's what it is. Regardless of what God's word says, that's what it is. And that is how many Christians, I'm not talking unbelievers, fulfill their goals. They do things to please themselves. It will not be a portion in Jesus' name. And the purpose of the pit of despair is to destroy that in your spirit so that you can just trust God from that point onwards. I am believing somebody is trusting God in Jesus' name. So lesson number one, in verses 18 to 20, his brothers conspired against him because of his dreams. When it comes to your dream, you need to recognize that there are forces that are conspiring against you because of your dream. I'm not talking, please don't look at human beings. Ah, it's my auntie, I've figured it out. No, 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 no. Don't be beyond the person, there are spirits. Look, at times I see by revelation people who have bad intentions towards me. I see it. But I never see the people as my enemy. I see the spirit behind that. The spirit that is operating behind them. I see it. I pray for the person's soul and I war against the spirit behind them. People are not your enemy. The devil and his demons are. Even those people who see themselves as your enemy, they are pawns. I know there are Christians who really 
will, 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 you know, will bomb the devil and his cohort, bomb them, release atomic bombs, nuclear, against them, return to sender. Have you heard that before? Maybe you've done it. But your dreams will result in others conspiring against you. And others will be put out because of your dreams. Because your dream will force you to be uncompromising in the will of God. And sometimes it can be even somebody close. Second lesson. God protected him because of his destiny. You see, even though there were those who were conspiring against him, his own brothers... God used that very thing to protect him. Verses 21 and 22. His eldest brother, Reuben, decided to protect him because they were going to kill him. And let me tell you something. At the end of the day, no man has a final say over the outcome of your life. Sometimes the very people who are conspiring against you, amongst them, God will do something to turn the situation around. That's why... For, 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 for me, when, when, when I've done everything, and when you have done everything that you are supposed to do, and you're not seeing what you're supposed to do, see, just trust God and believe God that he is in control. Because you don't know what's going on. At times, after an incident, I will find out some things associated with the, the incident that I didn't know, and I realized, oh my goodness, God, you protected us in that situation. I am believing God will protect you in Jesus' name. God will always have the final word regardless of what men's plans are. Proverbs 19, 21, he says, for there are, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, or the Lord's counsel, it shall stand, or it will stand, or that will stand. The counsel of the Lord, it shall stand. So, bottom line, the pit of despair represents us surrendering to the counsel of the Lord. Isaiah 14, 27, he says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Beloved, no man, no power, no EU, no America, no voting system has the final word on the destiny of the church. I don't care what any power or force says. They can scheme, they can plan, but there is someone above them all. He declared, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth, they've gathered together and stood against the Lord and his Christ. So, there, there might be all this cashless society, the mark of the beast, blah, blah, blah. We are not afraid. We don't care whether we escape or we stay. We are going to do battle for Jesus. See, some of us want to escape the mark of the beast, blah, blah, blah. Let's believe that we will all escape in Jesus' name. But just in case um, post-tribulation rapture is what's going to happen. Post-tribulation simply means after the tribulation, then he comes. There's pre-trib, which means before the tribulation, he comes. There's mid-trib, in the middle, just as it's about to get bad, we all go. Then there is post. After it's all done, that's when he comes. Well, I want to prepare you for post-trib, just in case the pre-trib people are wrong. And the mid-trib people are wrong, because if they are wrong, 
And the post-trip people are right. What's coming? ISIS is a picnic. You go tell those people in Iraq that there's a tribulation yet to come. And those people in Afghanistan, those believers, that there's a tribulation yet to come, they'll just they'll laugh at you. Are you still here? Well, let's move on. Anyway, so, God protected him. Third point, he was stripped of his tunic. Verse 23, the tunic represents the favor of God. It represented the favor of his father, but it also represents our righteousness. Our righteousness is, the, is a sign of God's favor. You see, righteousness means we have been approved by God. God approves of us. God accepts us. Right. And when it comes to your destiny, the first thing that the enemy will seek to remove or to undermine is your righteousness in God, your sense of divine approval, that God still approves of you. So they stripped him of his tunic. They took it off. And the enemy will try to strip you of your tunic through compromise, through sin. Job 29, 14, he says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice like a robe and a turban. I put on righteousness. Beloved, put on righteousness. Always seek to be approved of God. Can you say amen, somebody? It doesn't matter because these are the keys that ensures that at the pit of despair, we remain faithful. Because in the pit of despair, you can decide, you know what? This thing ain't working. This thing ain't working. I've had enough. I'm also going to get drunk tonight. Tonight I'm going to have a party. This thing ain't working. I've had enough. I've been saying no, 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 no. Tonight is the night for my night. I'm telling you. Sometimes when you are under pressure, say, ha, all best be off. <laughs> You see, that's, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Anyone ever been there? Well, you, said, you know what? I don't care anymore. You know what? Now, me, I am going to also enjoy. I've said no. I've said no. I said no. Where's the, bring the split. Bring the split. What do you mean? Bring the thing. I know how to burn. I know how to burn. How do you feel with God's eyes? I know how to burn. Bring the thing. The stripped of his tunic. Fourth point. <laughs> he was cast into a pit. The pit represents a place of barrenness. In fact, the pit, it says in verse 24, they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. The pit of despair represents barrenness. It represents a place where you can't hear God. There is no water. There is no word. It's like God is not there. God is not real anymore. It's like, you know, you know, when I come to church, even the preaching is dry. How can this preaching be dry? But it's dry because of the pit of despair. This preaching is not dry, but when, when you come, these days I'm not feeling it. Maybe you're in the pit of despair. That's the dynamic. Yeah. Or even when, when you get a bit of word here, by the time you've walked... Down the road, it's all disappeared. Yeah. 
pit of despair. I tell you, I've been in many pits of despair. There's been many times in my journey I have felt so down, so dry, so empty. Like, where is God? Where is God? The word is dry. Have you ever felt like the word is dry? I mean, the holy word of God is dry. Can we even say that? Have you ever felt like the word has no life in it? Uh, I'm asking you a question. Why are you looking at me like, you over there? I don't even get any response, huh? <laughs> but God's provision for those in the pit is for them to call upon him. When you're in that place of barrenness, of dryness, learn to call upon him. So many times I'll say to the Lord, please get people to pray for me. Get people to pray for me. I am so weak. I am so dry. I am so empty. Please get people to pray for me. Now, it would be nice if I said, and then the angel of the Lord appeared and said, Joseph, my son, let me lay hands on you. But nothing like that happens yet. We are believing maybe that will change. Psalm 40 verses 1 and 2. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. You can read the rest of the verses. But he said, I called, I called on the Lord. He was in a place. He was distressed. And he said, in that place, he was waiting patiently. Say patiently. He said, I waited patiently. You see, many times people wait, but not patiently. I'm waiting. Oh, Lord. This is a pit of despair. Joseph said, in the pit of despair, we should cry to you. Help me, help me. Ah, help me, help me. I'm waiting, you know. You've got five minutes. I'm waiting. <laughs> you can't tell God when he should intervene. I'm telling you, you have to, Listen. It's like the people, the person who said they wanted God to give them a wife. God, give me a wife. But if you don't do it in the next three months, I'm going to just choose somebody. Go ahead, choose. I guarantee you, you won't do it in three months. In the fifth month, but by then you've already chosen. Hey, let's move on quickly. You must learn to be patient in the pit of despair. Patient. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. In the next 10 minutes, as I bring this to a conclusion, I want to encourage you to call on the Lord. He said, he brought me out of a horrible pit. You see, it's the Christian life is not all rosy. Now. In fact, most of the time, it's not rosy at all. There are horrible pits. Horrible pits. You know, maybe you heard the seven steps to victory. The three steps to breakthrough. The five steps of the supernatural. The ten steps of abundance. And you used all the steps. And you are still in a horrible pit. What do you do? Wait patiently. That's the only step I've got. <laughs> Wait patiently for the Lord. He brought me out of a horrible pit. Ah, there's been times I've been in a horrible pit. 
We used to sing this song many years ago, many moons ago. I don't know if you know this. I know most of you people will not know this song. But it goes something like this. He lifted me up from the miry clay. And you have to sing. He granted my union on the wrong Tuesday. And that is the reason why I sing and I shout. And you have to do the move. For Jesus came down, 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 and lifted me up. Uh, you see, yeah, you see, that, that was all time, Pentecostal. And then you do that. <laughs> Only I do that, eh? Yeah. When we're younger and healthier. Fifth point. They sat down and had a meal. I mean, their brother is distressed. And they sat down and had a meal. Verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Their brother is distressed. You see, the pit of despair represents this. You suffering whilst others are enjoying. And they know you are suffering. And they don't care. Have you ever felt like nobody cares? In church. Ah, If you haven't felt that you are not properly in church. Ah, Every church that God places you in, he will ensure you feel like this church does not care. See, when you first started, oh, that's for this church. It's so loving. (laughs) So loving. (laughs) I mean, our pastor is so down to earth. That's for this church. Oh. Oh, that's why our pastor, oh, who's preaching? Is it Joe? Oh. <laughs> then that's in the father's house, beloved. Then you enter the season of the pit of despair. You tell pastor Joe, pastor Joe, I'm going through hell. Oh, really? Just believe God. Mm. Bring, bring the chicken, bring the chicken. Mm. <laughs> in the pit of despair. Whilst you are suffering, others are enjoying. Yeah. It's part of the dynamic. Look, you think when you enter your destiny, people are not going to take the mic. People are not going to take advantage of you. You think people are not going to betray your trust. You think people are not going to abuse you. If you don't know how to handle it during the pit of despair, you can never enter your destiny. Those of you who may say, Nobody's following up on you. Nobody looks after you. Nobody cares for you. Let me ask you a question. Who follows me up? Who, who, who gives me encouragement when I'm down? Have you ever been there? I'm telling you, it is part of it. I'm not saying we shouldn't care for each other. Please, I don't need you to come and tell me, Pastor Joe, you need to. No, no, no. I'm, we need to care for each other. Don't get me wrong. We need to love each other. We need to be there for each other. We, need to, we can't blame it on the pit of despair and say, uh, you know what, I'm, well, I'm not following you up because you might be in the pit of despair and I don't, I don't want to interrupt what God is doing in your life. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. Of course, we need to be responsible. But I'm saying in spite of all our efforts, you will still feel that way. Because it's part of what God does. That's how, what I'm saying. It's part of what God does in your life. You have to come to a place where you are not offended because you don't feel loved. You have to. 
Otherwise, you will never be able to enter into the purpose of God for your life. Of course, we need to love each other. Of course, we need to be there. I hope you're hearing my heart. I am not saying, I want to repeat this. I'm not saying we shouldn't care for people. We shouldn't follow up people. We need to be doing that. But let me tell you one thing I have discovered. Sometimes, as a pastor, somebody will tell me something very tragic and it's weighing on my heart. And I'll say, okay, I need to, we need to do this. We need to do that. And that's how I'm thinking. Somebody's like, Joe, 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 can you sort this out for me? Can you sort? And I'm, yeah, hold on. Yeah, no, 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 but with the surgeon. And then you do that. And then somebody else will come, oh, um, can you do this? Help, Pastor, can you? Before you know it, that thing, three weeks later, you go, <gasps> Someone said, what was that? Oh, my Lord. I've just remembered. But sometimes, when that happens, I have to realize, you know what? I have to trust God. Because otherwise, you'll just be depressed. And I know in my own life how many times it has felt like nobody has been there. But people were there. I just didn't know it. Yeah. So I want to encourage you. Whilst you are suffering and others are eating, don't be discouraged. Micah 7 verse 8, he says, do not rejoice against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Sometimes, others may be also enjoying your misery. I thought you said you were a man of God. Where is this breakthrough? <laughs> oh, you were believing God for, what's it that you were believing God for? <laughs> it hasn't happened. Oh. <laughs> Take that one as well. Take that as well. Because your day will come. The Lord is your light. He is your salvation. He is the one who knows what you're going through. Don't be afraid. Quickly. I'll stop here. Six point. God intervened in spite of their wickedness. You see, in verse 26 and 27, Judah now says, now he's our flesh and blood. I mean, the whole thing is crazy. He's our flesh and blood. Let's sell him. Now he's our flesh and blood. Let's forgive him. He's our flesh and blood. Let's sell him. Not knowing God was also in that. You see, sometimes in your pain, in your pain, and others are doing things that is adding to your pain, God is also behind it, guiding that pain to lead you towards your destiny. Look at Genesis 45 verse 7. This is what Joseph said. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So even though Judah said, let's sell him. That was God now stepping in to guide him towards his destiny. He was sold by his brothers to become a slave. Seven point. Your destiny will involve betrayal by those who should protect you. And sometimes when they betray you, they didn't even realize they're betraying you. It's part of it. It's part of it. I was the second in my family to be born again, but I was the leader of those who were born again in my family. And for a very long time, I was the outcast of my family. 
but it was God's plan. Because through his grace upon my life, many, if not all, came to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But that had to happen. And sometimes for others to be blessed through your life. And even the very people to be blessed through your life, they have to hurt you. They have to hurt you. You say, what did you just say? I said, they have to hurt you. Yeah. In order for you to rescue them. Yeah. All right, we'll stop there. No, no, last point and then we'll stop. This is the final one. He was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Verse 36. You see, your destiny will cause you to serve another man's vision. That is part of it. Until you learn to serve another man's vision, nobody can assist you in fulfilling your own. You find this principle in Luke 16, verse 12. If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is yours? Who will give you what is your own? To be faithful in what is another's is that you can be depended on when it no longer suits you. Yeah. We know how to serve. We have served faithfully for years others in order for God to give us what we have. Yeah. So I want to encourage you to embrace the pit of despair. This place of utter dependency upon the Lord. This place where you feel helpless. You feel like Nobody is there for you. You feel like nobody's giving you a helping hand. It is part of the plan of God for your life. Beloved, you are a child of destiny. I said you are a child of destiny. Amen. Never forget that. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. And that is your portion. In Jesus' name, amen.